Hi guys, welcome back to Crick Cost Pod with your host Sam Crick and this week we have a very special guest. Please welcome Genevieve Gregson. Jen, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks Sam. It's great to be here and um, yeah, hopefully I can give you some good insights to your questions. Absolutely and uh, for the listeners, I mean you're definitely Australian by your accent there um, <laughs> but could you tell us a little bit about where you're at at the moment um, in in the world and also a bit of your backstory as well. Yeah, so I'm currently based in Teddington, England. So that's pretty much where our Melbourne group comes and spends the summer every year. Uh, we were lucky enough to be able to come this year, even though there was plenty of talk about not being able to come during coronavirus. But we've come. Now the problem is probably getting home. Uh, we've been here for nearly two months now and we've had a really successful season, been able to get into all the races uh, that we've wanted to. Um, but we're coming to the end of the season now and there's probably only one or two races left. I think London Marathon's the last one for our group. And then the mission is to get back to Australia. So that is currently pending. We don't have any flights, uh, but hopefully uh, our country will let us back in sometime soon. <laughs> Absolutely. And who... Um... Who in the group is over at the moment? I know that a lot of uh, your guys are sort of racing all over Europe. Um, who, who's in Tedding, based in Teddington at the moment? So based in Teddington, out of the Aussies, it's only four of us. It's me, my husband, Ryan Gregson. Then there's Stewie McSwain and Matthew Ramsden. They're currently in Rome right now, about to compete in the Diamond League tonight. But we've also got an Irishman in the house with us, Paul Robinson. He's just here, yeah, again, for a few races. Um, and then for the London Marathon, we have a few more Aussies coming over. We've got Sinead Diver and Ellie Pashley for the women's and Jack Rayner and Brett Robinson coming over to do the men's race. So we'll have a full house here soon. But yeah, I think... Hopefully we're not all stuck here in the house. There's probably going to be one too many, I think. But yeah, it'll be cool when we have a bit bigger of a group because it yeah, has been kind of lonely at the moment. Yeah, it's quite cool. Actually, you mentioned um, Sinead and, uh, and, and Brett as well. And I think mm -hmm. me and Lloyd went on a, a run around um, Bushy Park and we were literally, it's quite funny, we were chasing um, this deer because it was after this dog <laughs> and we were sort of just like all over the place, right? And Lloyd was just, you know, off on one. And then uh, we turned around and um, sort of like this golden halo over these like three athletes and i was like who are these guys like they you know they look pretty smooth um they're going pretty well and then we ended up going on a i mean i think it was an easy run for them i think i was struggling a bit but um <laughs> but no it's nice to, to sort of meet up with those guys and and yeah i think um that, that was a quite a cool little experience and definitely it's a it's sort of a um a hot spot for for aussies and and also you know um it has a lot of heritage teddington for especially in the 2012 Olympic Games when uh, Jamaica was actually, you know, training very nearby. Uh, and then you've got a lot of, obviously, being in, in London, you've got a lot of uh, sort of teams there as well. Going back to sort of the start of your career, which would be really interesting to find out, where did it all start for you? And yeah, tell us a little bit about that story and that journey. Yeah, I, I get asked this a lot, but for running, um, like I don't really know when you start running. In Australia, for us, we have a thing called Little Athletics. And uh, for a really young age, I think Ryan started when he was like four. Um, for me, it was more when I was probably six or seven. And it's pretty much just an excuse for your parents to get you out of the house on, you know, like a Friday night or a Saturday morning. And you go and compete in just every event, whether it's field or track. And then you kind of, at a young age, work out what you're good at or what you enjoy. And I have three brothers. We're all a year apart. So I was always active. I was always playing sport, whether it was um, hockey, soccer, 
I did a bit of triathlon. I played touch football. So I was an active kid that loved to run around a lot with my brothers. And I think when I did little athletics, uh, I naturally gravitated towards longer events. I obviously was not fast and I wasn't good at throwing things. So that was a pretty easy decision. But then as I moved up into kind of middle school, senior school, um, yeah, I was definitely much more dominant over the longer distances and cross country was my pet event. Um, and that organically transitioned into being offered a scholarship to go to the University of Florida. Uh, so in 2008, I went over to America and uh, began my four year degree there and competed for the school, which really naturally, again, every year I got a little bit better. And, and by my senior year, that was 2012, um, I just had a huge breakthrough breakthrough with the steeplechase um, and I kind of really committed to that event solo like solely because that was my best shot at making the Olympics and even though at the time it was uh, late that I got the qualifier our country had um, set the date I think it was like June 11th to make the team and I think on June 13th I got the A qualifier and I caused a big ruckus but they ended up selecting me to come to the 2012 Olympic Games and I would have to say that's kind of probably the the biggest um, moment in my career where I went from just loving running as, as more a hobby and, and something to pass the time by to then it becoming, you know, my job and my passion. And I pretty much put all my eggs in one basket from that moment on. And that's when I met Nick Badeau and, and the whole Melbourne Track Club team. I came over to Teddington just because I needed to stay somewhere two weeks before the games. And, and Nick had the house here with all the athletes and I met Ryan and, um, the rest of the group at the time and yeah the rest is history really I, I joined the club uh, a year later and started traveling around with them as a professional athlete and spending summer in Teddington every year from then on so I mean that was 2013 and it's now 2020 so it feels like that's all I've ever done but um, it was a really a really nice transition for me also because um, in college I had everything I ever needed. Everything was so structured and perfect. You're in almost like a little professional bubble where everything um, is catered to you. So then joining such a professional group like Melbourne Track Club um, with so many athletes around my age and, and having Ryan obviously as my partner, it really helped that transition uh, to, to work out, you know, what it required to be in a professional group and, and travel around the world on your own. What a, what a fantastic story and a, an incredible journey that I'm sure is uh, nowhere near its finish yet. But um, yeah. going, I mean, picking loads of bits out there. And, and one thing that really stands out for me personally, um, and I'm sure a lot of other people out there, um, is the steeplechase. So uh, I ran steeplechase at uh, sort of like junior level um, and had some decent success with that over sort of county standards and things like that, getting to a few national events. Um, but for you, what was the reason going into it? Um, because for me it was sort of like it was an alternative that I sort of enjoyed a bit of hurdling and did four hurdles and stuff like that. Um, what was the sort of transition from just regular track running into the steeple for you? Yeah, I, I was always really good at cross country. So um, I've always been a bit of a strength runner. Uh, fitness has always been my strength because, you know, I, like I said, I'm, I'm not super quick. You know, it wasn't 800 or 15 that I had a choice of. I mean, I don't know anyone who picks distance over shorter events, but I feel like the steeplechase was kind of thrown at me. Um, when I went to college, my first year there, they actually didn't have anyone in the steeplechase. And when you're in the American system, um, it's all about 
points for your school and, and trying to win the SEC championships or going to regionals, winning NCAAs. Um, so at the time for me, they really needed someone to step into that position. And lucky me, I got thrown into it one day and they just said, you know, just see how you go. If, if you're terrible, we won't do it again, but at <laughs> least have a shot. And yeah, it was, I think my first race, I ran 10, 29 or something. And, it, and it, like looking back, it, it's obviously not a great time, but I honestly hadn't water jumped or hurdled and they put me in a race and just said, yeah, just try follow instincts <laughs> and do what you can. Um, so that was kind of a, a funny introduction to it, but I ended up just really enjoying it. It's such a bizarre event. And when I crossed the line and, and thought, what in the world did I just do? I kind of found that I was naturally good at it. I'm, I wasn't a fantastic hurdler, but it was something that I did get a lot better at as I practiced. And um, four years down the track from when I first started it, it was my best shot at, at making the Olympic Games. And um, it was kind of where I thought this is, this is what I could focus on and, and try and make the team for. And after that, it was, it was more just, I loved it. I wanted to do it more. I wanted to get the Australian record. I, I'd set all these goals for myself and I really just committed to the steeplechase full time. Um, obviously, I love flat events. Like yeah. the 1500 and the 5K are awesome events to run. But I definitely think, uh, especially for Tokyo, my best shot at, at finishing as high up as possible is, is the steeplechase. I mean, you're well inside the top 20 um, across the world for, for that chase. So, yeah, I think, you know, it's really competitive. We've had some fantastic times, both in the men and the women in the last few years. So I think steeplechase is one that sort of maybe didn't get so much attention and you might see it as a, um, I mean, often people sort of said it was like a cop-out event because you didn't really have as many people sort of going for it. But I think the, the discipline, the, the mindset for it, and it's a totally different kind of fitness. So, um, yeah, I think you come into it as sort of a, a 5k runner that can hurdle rather than sort of like a 3k, yeah. 15 3k runner that can sort of, you know, just get around. I think there's, there's a lot more to it, but that's really interesting to hear. And um, you spoke about uh, you coming out of college and then straight into the Olympics. Obviously, that's just like you've completely been fast tracked to, to that standard, really. As you come out of college um, in the US, you're sort of thinking going pro or something like that. Um, was that sort of on your mind anyway and then the, the Olympics came around or what, what sort of happened around that time? Yeah I was so I say I was so lucky but obviously you know you, you make your opportunities but in my final year of college when I was running so well um, I was getting a little anxious kind of thinking what happens when my last college race is over and I, I didn't really know what the next step was and it is hard being an international in an American system because you know, you hear of the contracts not being as great. Uh, Australian athletics in Australia isn't a very high profile sport. So I knew that running professionally was going to be difficult. It was going to be something that, um, you know, wasn't necessarily going to work out for the first few years. And it might mean, you know, getting a, a part-time job and, and trying to fund the whole running dream. But when the Olympics you know, were timed so perfectly in my senior year of college and I ended up making it and running pretty well. Um, I was lucky enough that at the time in America, I, I signed a New Balance deal that allowed me to stay living in Florida and just break even pretty much and, you know, maintain the whole running dream. And I kept training with the, the, the college coach, let, let me stay on board and I, I trained with the girls. And it wasn't until a year later when I joined Melbourne Track Club that got a little more difficult because as Australians, you, you're at a bit of disadvantage because you're trying to chase the summer in Europe 
but you know our season starts in December because our summer is obviously backwards so you're kind of traveling all year round and it does get expensive Um, but lucky enough you know I did progress well through the ranks um, from 2012 to 2016 which you know allowed me to continue this lifestyle and be able to fund it so I again I think back to 2012 and I think you know if I hadn't made the Olympics what would have happened you know how would have I made that next step would I have just gone straight back to moving back home and getting a job and then maybe following a different path Uh, so I do believe I was pretty lucky um, with the way things worked out because I have been able to follow every desired path that that has come my way yeah definitely and i think you know when you go to the olympics obviously as um spectators we'll see um the sort of flashing lights the intros and and then the race itself but for you what went on behind the scenes that you hadn't been exposed to at a college level or anything before that really yeah oh the olympic games was just such an eye-opener and like you said when I was in college, I finished second at nationals that year. You know, I was treated like I was a star. You know, I was the one getting the points in at Florida and I was the one getting the points at SECs and at nationals. But then you're thrown on a world stage and you're nobody, you know, like I got knocked out of my heat. I didn't even make the final and I PB'd, but it kind of just opened my eyes and made me realize there's so much more out there. And, and if I want to be on a world stage, like I've got to get so much better than I am. So it was a wake-up call because it made me want to do all the extra things to become better, but it was also a scary step. I mean, leading into the Olympic Games when I came over to Teddington for the few weeks beforehand, I did one European race. I think I did a mile in, in Dublin and I ended up getting food poisoning. And for the next week, I was oh, like a right, right off, just panicking that, you know, I'd, I'd ruined my Olympic debut. But um, you kind of learn along the way that nothing goes smoothly. I can tell you something that's happened to all of us before every major championship. Yeah, but yeah, that's, that's just the wrong. sport. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's never going to go smoothly. It's it's the sport, and um, you just learn how to be flexible and deal with anything that's thrown your way. And and I know that all even the athletes on the absolute top uh, are experiencing things all the time. So you just you got to learn to uh, manage whatever's thrown at you. Yeah, definitely. And uh, even through that um, that point there, you mentioned the word debut. And that's that's funny for me because obviously that's not pronounced correctly. Um, but <laughs> I'm just sort of wondering with your experience of traveling the world over um, sort of the last you know few years, what sort of language barriers have you had come across? I was going to give a warning at the start of the podcast, basically saying that I would slip into my Australian accent that is pretty bang <laughs> average. But um, yeah, what sort of language barriers have you, have you come across just to sort of, uh, yeah, spice it up a bit? <laughs> um, I would say the hardest place to travel to that I've experienced was actually America. Living in America for four years, they just really struggled to understand me. Uh, I can understand them because I watch American TV, but yeah, they just, there'd be so many things, like just something as simple as being at a restaurant and asking for water they'd be like, what are you saying? And I was yeah, like, oh, yeah, okay, let's have a glass of water. And they just, I think because we kind of shorten things instead of say water, yeah. but um, they were a few, there was a few barriers there at college, but I was laughing because the other day when I went to um, Battersea Park to do that 1500, they were checking me at the front gate and asking me all the security COVID questions. Oh, God, and the yeah. first question, first question <laughs> said, had you experienced any symptoms over the last 14 days? But the guy I could not understand his accent to save me it was just really strong British accent and I just looked at him and I was like yes 
And he's like, uh. <laughs> and he just kind of looked at me and then looked around. He's like, I don't know if you can come in. And I was yeah. like, wait, sorry. I don't think I understood the question. Could you say it again? But, um, yeah, I've definitely experienced a lot of hard accents to understand. I find the um, Scottish accent really difficult, but yeah. I think I'm getting better. And I think I'm probably changing my accent to whatever country I go to. I'm really good at speaking broken English. Right. Um, yeah, I think so. The, most British people actually. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. we spend a lot of time in Spain, so um, I can't say my Spanish is improved, but I can speak really well broken down English. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking, like, if you're going into Battersea and you get kicked out of the first event that you run for the club, because yeah, by the way, guys, spoiler alert, and you know, press release. Um, uh, Jen's actually part of the the Belgrave Harriers now. Um, so you didn't actually <laughs> see that. That was like a last minute transfer, I think. But um, yeah. but yeah, you sort of imagine that going into the game and uh and steven's obviously helped you out a bit um yeah. Steven Gardner with, with it and and then he just goes yeah thanks very much jim but you can't actually come in yeah sorry yeah you, you can't you enter <laughs> oh, and when i goodness. said it he looked really worried but i then i had to just confirm i'm like look i didn't understand anything you said i just tried to bluff it yeah oh that's absolutely brilliant um and yeah so your experience over in uh, in the uk uh, let's talk about food um because um having been to australia i've really enjoyed the food personally i think i mean my mate liam he raved about um a chicken palmer like all the time in the uk and he was like how does this not exist um we actually went to amsterdam and we got one at an aussie pub bar whatever it was um, and apparently it was just nowhere near it um so what is the best and worst food that you've had here in the uk um I don't know what that, um, what do you call it? It's like black pudding or something. Yeah, it's yeah. like in, served, I don't even know. English. Oh, that's it's, just I think it's pig's blood, yeah. Yeah, I can't even wrap my head around the whole idea <laughs> of it. But I've been introduced to that several times, but I refuse to go there. But what you guys do really well is just pub specials, like pub meals. Yeah. Um, it's funny, hopefully our coach doesn't listen to this, but where we are situated we're right next to the adelaide which is a pub um in teddington and we're also just around the corner from the railway which is another pub yeah, perfect, yeah. next to teddington yeah and um the boys stewie and rambo they just i don't reckon they've cooked a meal since being here they, lap it they up, yeah. yeah they get the six dollar special at railway for lunch and the adelaide lasagna at night every night for dinner so like that's their rotation Nice. just back and forth but <laughs> i would say british pubs know how to do a good special whether it's a burger or a roast sunday roast yeah. um i think they've definitely mastered that so so when the um when the contracts come through next year and they've all like totaled up sort of how much they how much money they're giving <laughs> and they're sort of renewing it they're saying how you're spending a very exact amount of money each day on food and it's just <laughs> like six pounds six pounds a pot uh, that sounds quality but um yeah. and then also in, in the group who's i mean you mentioned the boys there that just you know wouldn't cook um who's sort of like the worst housemate who would basically oh. who would, if you could who would you just swap out oh I, I mean for banter i would keep them but for cleanliness i would swap out both of those boys stewie and rambo are absolutely useless they just i think they're used to a woman in their life looking after them because that's all i do in this house Being is that, is that girl, their mum or are they just really good with girls that they've always got someone no, they're not really good with girls I can't, <laughs> oh maybe they both got girlfriends but um, okay matt Ra matt ranson has a girlfriend that i'm she must have to have done everything for him to this point and stewie lives with his sister so that explains everything because she babies him um but 
they're they're very enjoyable boys to have in the house because they're funny and they're just constantly just ripping on themselves each other um so I, I couldn't kick him out for that reason but yeah if we're talking if we're purely basing it on cleanliness i i constantly am pulling ryan aside saying i can't sleep here with these boys much yeah. <laughs> i'm the housemaid oh i absolutely love it that, that is brilliant and um what and the dynamic for you and ryan um sort of where did that start off and what was the the sort of spark i'm interested in you know did he have to graft you is it the other way around like what was you know what was the process there i was quite interested in you know especially yeah. athletes as well how, how they get together yeah ryan and i story i mean he hates me telling it because i've t we've heard it so many times because it's a constant question we get asked in australia right. but it was one of those things where we both did junior cross country um i'm a year older than him so he was the age below and Ryan was a prodigy going through school. Like he was, you know, breaking Craig Mottram's records. He was, you know, winning national cross country by a minute. He was like a big star. So everyone knew about Ryan Gregson. Um, and I was just some young Queenslander that used to race barefoot. And uh, if I was lucky, I'd finish in the top three. Uh, but again, not breaking any records. I mean, that's pretty good. But, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I knew, I knew of Ryan and I, in 20, I think it was, 2007 we went to nationals in perth and um i'd finished i think i came second or third i was pretty happy with my race and ryan had just absolutely like, killed his field one by a minute or so and he was walking over with two of his friends everyone had their shirts off thought he was like, it, yeah. he would have been he would have been 16 like he would have just been this like pre-pubescent <laughs> like very ugly scrawny little oh, boy um and he's walked up to me i was sitting on the ground and he just like called out to me and he said hey genevieve and i looked up really nervous and worried and i was like yes and i'm kind of thinking in my head oh my gosh that's ryan gregson no. and he just said do you like what you see and he had his oh, shirt and I, was just like, <laughs> I was just like oh my god but uh, he oh said to god. me he said he acted like that over the next few years just because he'd put me kind of on a pedestal I was a year older I was an older woman yeah. like as well, if he's, I would ever he's punching in, in many senses <laughs> of words, you know? yeah so um we just had this strange relationship where we kept in contact over Facebook it was like me messaging him saying congratulations on your Australian record and he would respond saying you're hot and that would be <laughs> and I, I'd send him an email and go I'd send him a message and say an wow email. I just saw that uh, sorry uh, no, no. you know like a I was gonna mail. say just like yeah dear no, Ryan <laughs> well I was very um I feel like I was very formal and always okay. like hi Ryan I see that you ran 335 on Australian soil congratulations wow. and he, would just, he would just respond with like you're hot um and then after about five honestly five or six years of just back and forth like I had a boyfriend, he had a girlfriend, just things never lining up. Um, 2012, I came over um, with a boyfriend actually uh, from America and stayed in this house with him. So oh, nice. there was a lot of, there was a lot of flirting and courting going on back then. Yeah. But after 2012, it kind of fizzled out because I went back to Florida to my boyfriend and he was kind of like, okay, well, I guess that's not working out. Then a whole year later, um, we meet again at nationals and you know it looks like something's going to happen again but then i go back to america and get back with my boyfriend tell ryan to stop contacting me so i think i was oh, i kept pushing God. him away constantly yeah it was really tragic but um in 2013 i came over for my first diamond league experience and 
it was in Birmingham. So I messaged him and said, uh, I'll be racing my first Diamond League. It's not far from where you are if you want to come watch. And he came and watched and I fell on a barrier and completely broke my ankle in about three different places. Oh, and yeah, so he was my good luck charm there. Um, <laughs> but it was a blessing in disguise because it, I wasn't allowed to fly. I couldn't go home because of a broken bone. So oh, I ended up booking a hotel just down the road at Park, um, Park Road Hotel and seeing Ryan for about 12 days straight. And from then on, we decided that we should start dating. And that was 2013, July. That's actually and, incredible. Yeah. Yeah, well, so, so, so I guys, whatever happens, whatever happens, those <laughs> listening, yeah, if, if you're going to take any advice from this, basically <laughs> just be super, super confident going up, just like, do you like what you see? They'll probably say yeah. no, but then you've just got to keep grafting for about six it's gotta years. It's got to wait six years. Just keep yeah. going uh, and then make sure that, you know, um, she gets a serious injury uh, and then yeah. just make sure. That and then she has no option. Room. Exactly. Yeah. She has yeah. No just make sure that she can't go home <laughs> and you'll be completely fine. Um, so yeah, yeah thank you very much not only for that story but for the fantastic advice for listeners we always want to add value <laughs> on this podcast and, oh god there's going to be some poor girls out there with some <laughs> stalkers oh yes no, and, and getting emails as well like oh hi, <laughs> yeah. hi dear emily i'm writing to you because i have an interest in your face or something yeah. <laughs> um, oh, and, and you mentioned that uh, the rhyme was your well sarcastically your good luck charm um but mm -hmm. did you ever have any sort of superstitions um or rituals that you, you took through your career um and maybe they fizzled out yeah i had so many as a kid i've tried to get rid of them now um because it they became consuming i used to have the strangest superstitions as a kid like from what color sock i wore on what foot to um carry at one point i carried a leaf for about four uh, years yeah, I that i down, yeah. <laughs> I believe that leaf was good luck. Like it was the most messed up thing. And then one day I finally. What, what was special was like, about this leaf? Talk to us about I the leaf. Because obviously you, know, you <laughs> spent a lot of time with this leaf. Obviously it's very I important did. to you. What sort of features did this leaf have? Oh, it was just this leaf. I don't know why I decided to pick it up. Because it's obviously one day I've had a good day and seen a leaf and thought that's going to, out of all the things in the vicinity right now the leaf's going to be the good luck charm cool. so i've kept this leaf it was a pretty leaf so it stood out i think it was like yellow and orange and greeny type of leaf um and i used you know to the ones you find everywhere in autumn <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so it's gonna, pretty special i'm looking out the window i'm looking out the window now and i can see about ten thousand lucky leaves yeah no, um, i've got a few as well <laughs> But um, I thought, yeah, this leaf was really lucky and I'd had a watch in my lucky number five. I had a watch with a big five on the face of it and I used to use the container that the watch came in to hold this lucky leaf and I would carry that leaf to every national championship. And then one year, four years later, I went to the national championships and like had an absolute stinker. Came like 18, felt terrible, pretty much walked in the last K and I went straight to my bag and ripped up the leaf and thought... Oh enough's enough this has <laughs> lost its charm but i think yeah after that when i went to college and realized that you're forever traveling and you're going to so many different races and and it was tiring to have superstitions for every race when you race so constantly so now i'm the complete opposite um i don't other than the basic sort of race day routine that i have like how far to eat out and you know certain things to avoid I really don't have any rituals. I, I don't have certain jewelry I have to wear. I don't have, you know, socks or whatever that, you know, I pick. But I, um, I try to just actually stay relaxed because I think 
Um, as you get older, you probably start to get more mental when it comes to racing because you have so much experience. You're trying to constantly work out what, what worked last time, what didn't work and things can get confusing if you're trying to stick to an exact plan. So now I just kind of, yeah, keep it as simple as possible. Otherwise you could go crazy. Definitely. Uh, the superstition one's interesting. I used to have, it was definitely socks for me and shorts as well. Um, and so I'd wear these same pair of blue shorts, even if it was sort of like heats and finals on different days. Um, I'd sort of wear the same shorts. It's a bit, a bit disgusting, but I will. Um, and also I had like these carry more socks, which, you know, they're not a brand known for their quality. You know, you, you want to go for the, the Nike elites out there or, or whatever, whatever socks you want to wear. But um, I would wear, so there was an orange pair and there was a black pair and I'd wear the left black pair on my right foot and the left yellow pair on my left foot. So I'd literally just have like, obsolete socks just all over the place. It was just, yeah. mum was like, I can't find a pair for these. I was like, they don't exist. They're, they've got them. <laughs> yeah, um, so, I know exactly what that's like. So socks was, uh, was definitely one for me. But uh, yeah, so we sort of spoke about, so after races, um, if you're not ripping up leaves and, and sort of getting angry at performances <laughs> and stuff, um, what, you know, what happens after the race? Um, so as we mentioned before, we see what happens on the track after you step off the track in the major championships, especially if you're with the big teams, um, sort of what goes on? Like, what do I do to kind of relax and either, either chill out or the sort of extracurricular stuff that no one yeah, sees, yeah. but they shouldn't talk about, but you'd only talk about on Critcast Pod. Yeah. Okay. Um, if it's, I mean, major championships different to like just seasonal racing. Um, because in season we've honestly like, yeah, I raced on a Sunday then had to race two days later. Like you're constantly moving about, but Ryan and I always try really enjoy post championship um, racing because there's so much pressure. There's so much stress. You've probably thought about that race constantly for the last few months leading into it. So we either that night we'll definitely go have a few drinks and try unwind. Um, obviously. What'd you, what'd you we'll, go for Jen? What's your, uh, what's your go-to drink? What do you like? If it's if I'm really letting my hair down, it's always cocktails. I'm a nice. big cocktail drinker because like I can't do beer. I need the sweet type of drinks. I do like wine, but that's more if I feel like I'm dwelling on a poor performance. Wine kind of sounds sad. Yeah, no, I think definitely. Like I'm <laughs> literally envisaging just like Jen sitting there in tears of red wine, just like a box yeah. full of chocolates and just really. Don't excited. worry, that's that has happened many a times. Um, bit of cocktail is celebration. So yeah, I could go and have endless cocktails and probably a burger or pizza would be my first choice. You might want to um, get, I don't I'm, know if you've got this in Oz, but you might want to get involved in a bottomless brunch. I don't know if you ever had one of them, but they're, oh, yeah. they're very popular, um, especially yeah. among, um, sort of like girls' birthdays and, uh, and they are. hen parties and stuff. Go out and mimosa, a mimosa brunch as well. Like, you know, the the orange juice and champagne to go with yeah, your brunch. Exactly. That's very popular. Bunch but yeah, I'd say yeah. that I'd say that Ryan and I are, are, are big on um, letting our hair down when it is post championship because we, um, we do try to do the whole approach leading into major championships where we stay away from alcohol and bad food. By the time it's over, we're ready to, um, yeah, just indulge. Nice. Fantastic. And, uh, um, I was, yeah, I was going to bring it up about uh, sort of closing ceremonies, for example, um, at uh, major champs. Um, 
did you catch me there yeah so closing ceremonies uh, at major champs um you probably got the most amount of screen time that you might have uh, done in your whole life because of an event that happened um back at was it the commonwealth games in uh, in glasgow now you were yeah. turning 25 and um and what did you know 24 year old jen what did she do at the uh, the ceremony the closing ceremony of the commonwealth games she had a very big lapse in judgment i'll tell you that much um yeah, so I was at the, the Com Games closing ceremony and it was one of those situations, like I said, where after your major championship, you have a few drinks and um, enjoy time with friends and, and your teammates because it's been a very stressful period. Um, but I kind of must have been on another level because I just got this like amazing confidence. Like I was untouchable. Yeah. You and felt like Ryan yeah, Gregson going over to, to Jim. Yeah, it was right. It was 16-year-old Ryan Gregson. It was like nothing could stop me. Um, but I remember being right at the, the base of the stage. And there was there was a fence there and a guard kind of walking up and down. But really, it was lighthearted. You know, I don't think they were too concerned about anyone trying to jump up on the stage at the time. Um, and, yeah, just something came over me. It was like I was possessed. But I just thought it would be really cool to get up on stage. And there'll be no consequences. I should just get up there. Um, and dance with Kylie, and I actually had this is Kylie Minogue, by the way, guys. Like, yeah, yeah, Kylie Minogue, not just any Kylie. No, not like, just I, not just iconic. some random Kylie. Yeah. <laughs> no, this was Kylie Minogue, like Australia's golden girl. Um, and yeah, I saw an opportunity, and it was like you couldn't have stopped me, no matter what. I had every single person in the vicinity saying, "Don't do that. It's probably not a great idea." Uh, I pretty sure ryan told me not to but he was, was there actual conversation going on so you're sort of processing this in your head going i'm getting up there i'm getting up there yeah i'm getting up there everyone's going no you're not no you're not no you're not and then you're yeah. like right let's go yeah and it wasn't like you know help me up guys i'm about to go one two three it was just something flipped and i just leaped over yeah. the barrier when the guard wasn't looking climbed up onto stage had to leap over a hole in the stage because it was like they kind of when made it so up, that it was yeah so yeah. like people couldn't do what i was doing oh, right, nice. and <laughs> I, I jumped i jumped on stage but it was one of those things that felt so surreal because i started dancing with my little australian flag and weaving in and out of the background dances but time went really slow and after about 30 seconds i thought okay now what do i do because yeah. i hadn't planned like what's next i just planned to get up on stage that's all i'd kind of yeah. factored into what my my plan was and after about 30 seconds i started to panic you can't really tell but i panicked because i thought i don't have any moods i don't really i'm not dancing well <laughs> <laughs> like, i know kylie uh but luckily for oh me um like a someone on the stage like someone in all that dressed in black you can see it on one of the videos just runs past scoops me up so off. quickly takes me off the back but i just remember afterwards I ran to Ryan. I was like, Ryan, did you see me? Did you see me? I was on stage. And he's like, no, I didn't see anything. No. I looked at my phone. Yeah. I looked at my phone oh. and it was just blowing up from people <laughs> from home, from radio stations, TV <laughs> interviews. <laughs> it, it, everyone knew it was me immediately. That is so, incredible. Yeah. I think on the Instagram, on, on the Instagram will stick the, um, the sort of interview that you had with some guy basically saying, you know, oh. what on earth are you doing? Um, and I was like, it was my birthday. It was my, it's my birthday. I, you know, I'm 25 soon. <laughs> for a guy of a bang. <laughs> One of the questions that came on on Instagram um, was, uh, how tall is Kylie in real life? Is she really that small? 
no, she's short. She's little. She's petite. So is her sister, Danny. Um, but I was only on with her for like a millisecond because she had to go off and do a wardrobe change. Yeah, so, obviously, if you timed it properly, you would have been, you know, you'd yeah. the whole time. But... but I reckon if I timed it properly, I would have probably got sniped or something. Yeah, like, maybe. imagine something thinking that Kylie was in danger. Like, I probably timed it well, really. Exactly. So, one way so she's if, off. if anything, you've done incredibly well um, out of that whole situation. <laughs> timing is impeccable (laughs) absolutely what a quality story absolutely love it um well on quickcast pod we do ask some sort of quick fire questions but because i'm a marketing genius my surname is crick we call them crick fire (laughs) questions very clever yeah it's very Um, very intelligent so the first crick fire question obviously you can answer it in any depth that you like but pretty straightforward Uh, how many pillows do you sleep with one just the one and is it memory foam or is it just like your standard no when you travel like I do, you get used to anything. You can sleep on concrete if you have to. Ryan's very particular. I'm just looking. He has two because he needs one between his bony knees when he sleeps on his side. <laughs> so I'm always one. He gets the extra one. Yeah, fantastic. And um, and if you could pick between bread and bagels, what would you choose? For the rest um, of your life, you could, you could only have like one of them. Yeah. yeah I mean, if I was... If I was remaining an athlete, it would have to be bread, but I'm a way, way bigger fan of bagels. Like, mm. I love bagels, but I think someone told me it was equivalent to eating a cheeseburger once if I ate a bagel with jam Something on it. Like so, I had, um, yeah. I had, if you drink a pint, it's like the equivalent to eating seven slices of bread or something like that. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, believe I, it. I eat the equivalent of a lot of bread, um, or I drink the equivalent <laughs> yeah. of a lot of bread when I go out. Um, so that's quality. Um, athletics based um what is your best performance and which event did you enjoy the most in your um i yeah it's hard because i asked this a lot and i i divide it between two so the 2016 olympic games um i was obviously expected to do well in the steeple chase which i did but i wasn't expected to do well in the 5k and i made the final so that experience in itself was just super special that, that, that it was seven days i raced four times and did 40 laps of the track and i can't really tell you which day was more special than the other because every single one was a surprise for me um and it was just a phenomenal experience but then 10 days later i went and ran the paris diamond league and broke the australian record which again was just one of those moments where you cross wow. the line and you're like what just happened like i thought yeah. i had another lap um so Dude, wow. I can't I, I can't split those two performances up because uh, there was just yeah probably about two weeks in my career where um, it's like every time I touched the track something crazy would happen. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And just on that as well, was that that Paris Diamond League was that based on like an adrenaline rush that you just had that you just sort of you were riding out for that that next ten days? I honestly think it was the opposite. I think I went to the Olympics so nervous so much expectation knew that i was in good form and had to perform um and then did perform and had i think i I raced four times and pb three times so i kind of just had this phenomenal seven days and all the pressure was off i remember everyone always asked me what you know what was paris like when i stepped out on the track i actually even think i had the mental mentality where i felt a bit tired like i mentally i'd kind of done a lot that year and I thought, tonight's meant to be fun. You've done everything you have to do this year. It's irrelevant what happens tonight. Just, you know, run one more steeplechase and enjoy it. And then I ended up running my fastest steeplechase by a lot. 
Um, so I think I actually, instead of going in all pumped up on adrenaline and, and being really excited and, and, and aiming for the Australian record, I went in so relaxed and just so carefree that I ended up feeling great when I was running and just happened to run really fast. It was the most bizarre experience. Incredible. And uh, before we go on to sort of the questions that have been sent in by our lovely listeners and followers um, mm -hmm. on the Instagram, uh, what would you say is the best and worst advice that you've ever received or something that someone said that you totally agree with and then totally disagree with? Um, I'd say the best advice is um, someone saying to me and, and figuring it out myself along the way, is you have to enjoy your job. Like I know there's a lot of people out there that probably don't enjoy their job, but I can honestly say that there is nothing in the world that I wish I was rather doing. Um, and I wouldn't change anything that I've done to this point. Uh, like I, I wake up in the morning and enjoy an hour run. I wake up in the morning and I enjoy a threshold. I enjoy track work. I love racing. There's nothing, um, that I do in my job that I don't enjoy. And I think it's why I've managed to have a long career and, and a reasonably successful one, because when I do get injured or, or face adversity, of course that sucks, but there's always reward for me, you know, by getting back healthy and being able to run pain-free and, and accomplish my goals again, that's enough to motivate me to get through any sort of adversity I face and I think that's so important because running is such a lonely sport and I do believe it's one of the most difficult sports you could choose um so if you don't enjoy uh, you know most of the journey i just can't see how you'll find success in it um so that's the best advice um and the worst would probably be you know growing up you're told that you have to do everything as hard as you can do all the one percenters um you know like almost punish yourself in training and, and try so hard just because if you want to be the best, that's what it requires. And I think that's wrong. Uh, I've seen, I mean, I'll use as an example, um, Stewie and Rambo, like they're the most relaxed, chilled guys in, in the house and they eat what they want. And they, they, I mean, to a certain extent, obviously. Yeah. And you know, six, they know six pound, when, six pound pub <laughs> lunches, basically. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But like, you know, they, they know what their bodies are feeling. So if, if they want to run a bit easier one day, um, they will. They don't get, you know, really hung up on that every run has to be as hard as you can go. But, you know, when they're feeling good, they will train really hard and, and hit all their times. Um, and I just think in this sport, uh, the biggest misconception is you've got to train as hard as possible and, and make sure that every single run you're just killing it. Uh, because that's the best way to get the most out of yourself. But I honestly don't believe that. Um, I can tell you there's times where I've run so amazing and barely tried. And then there's times where I've tried too hard and just it's like flogging a dead horse. You just yeah. get nothing out of it. So, yeah, just the misconceptions of running. I think there's so many. Yeah, definitely. And I think often, you know, you, you really want to find out if, um, you know, you know, if people are trying to figure out if running's for them and they're sort of looking at progression and, you know, they're, they're looking at times all the time and especially with Strava and stuff like that, everyone's sort of always focused on times and things like that. And I think sometimes you just need to take a step back and two things that I think are really important in athletics um, and running in general is progression and timing. Mm -hmm. Because, you mm -hmm. know, if you're looking at, um, you know, making that progress over a long period of time, we're seeing a lot of young athletes doing very, very well um even on you know international stages but that progression is massively important as long as you're improving yeah. sort of year on year rather than 
you know, week on week. I think lots of people do look at that um, and they think, you know, I've, you know, I've done this amount of mileage this week, so I've got to up it or whatever. Um, and then also the timing as well. So if you've got a, um, a, a big event coming up, you don't want to go too hard or, you know, change anything that you've mm -hmm. done before. So, yeah, I think two aspects that come into it quite a lot, but obviously there's, there's plenty, um, plenty of it as well yeah no that's so true and like you said with in this day and age it's so hard to not compare you to like yourself to what others are doing with strava and instagram yeah and exactly types of social media like all you want to do is look at what everyone else is doing and compare it but um you know with with the however many people in our group we all train differently um and i think that there's so many um you know ways to train and you don't have to compare yourself to someone exactly it's it's just how your body absorbs the training and how differently um, you kind of approach everything. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great point. Again, especially for our younger listeners where, you know, your bodies will be changing at such a different rate to everyone else's that actually you've just got to match your maturation level. Um, we had James West on the podcast who ran extremely well um, uh, on Tuesday um, in Zagreb. Um, but he mentioned that, you know, he was very, very small at a young age and even even when he was sort of 16 17 um and then he sort of had his, his breakthrough when he you know he got to his maturation level so whatever stage you're at just keep plugging away trust that process and um yeah just keep looking for for little progressions and, and the little wins um but yeah uh, fantastic thank you very much for uh, for those answers we've got some um questions and uh, responses from our followers so joe reeve um quite simply just says how are you Oh, that's a really nice question. I'm well. I am enjoying the fact that I get to be in Europe racing and not stuck at home during coronavirus. Um, I'm not having the best season yet, but I think my body thinks it's about March or April when it comes to how the season pans out. But hopefully by the end of the season, I'll just be hitting my straps and uh, showing kind of all my training in place. And uh, your adopted cub, um, Belgrave Harriers, so the guys over there have sent over a question, said, how much are you looking forward to the Surrey League this season? Obviously, it's massive. You know, the Olympics, you know, not a big deal. Um, Commonwealth Games, out the window. You know, world champs, off you go. National records, but, you know, the Surrey League is where it's at. Are you excited for What's it? What's the Surrey League? <laughs> oh, brilliant. Um, right, it's, the Surrey League is the cross-country uh, sort of league like yeah okay. the, the cross league that you'll have basically <laughs> between local clubs sorry that is brilliant okay when does that start um probably like october okay well who knows if i'm still around maybe it will become something that's very exciting on my calendar but <laughs> i didn't know about it till now whoever the uh, admin is on the i think it might be steven actually so you know, uh, I think he'd love to hear that answer. And you've done your research. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely love that. So, um, so Natasha Ray has asked, do you have a special top, uh, diet or do you just eat what you want? And what food makes you train slash race best? Um, so I definitely cater my diet, I'll call it, um, differently depending on what type of season I'm in. Um, I would say I don't follow any type of structure until racing kind of starts. So for us, that could be from end of season, say if end of season is normally September, from September till about February, March, um, it's just, yeah, eat whatever in reason. If I'm on holiday, of course, I'm gonna indulge and eat a lot of sweets and alcohol and, and bad food. But um, when we're talking just 
normal base training, um, I just make sure that I'm always fueled up before big sessions. So whether that's a long run or it's a long threshold or it's K reps, um, the dinner before that is usually important. So I just make sure that, um, you know, we have high carb intake and all the other nights it's more focused on protein. And um, when it comes to competition season, I would say I probably just clean up in areas. I still follow that same sort of routine with carbs and proteins before certain days, but you know, there'll be less going out on a Saturday night and having pizza and wine that probably all stops and um, no more desserts as frequently. Um, and yeah, just won't eat when I'm hungry. Uh, I don't like to be too strict when it comes to food because I have made mistakes in the past where, um, you know, I've tried to restrict probably too much and end up just getting fatigued and tired. And same with Ryan, like he loses weight very easily um, when he tries to restrict his intake. So we more just make sure that we're fueled up on healthy stuff. And if we do want to kind of start cutting down, we just get rid of the junk. Fantastic. Great answer. Thank you. Um, Megan Dolphins asked, why did you choose the steeplechase? Hopefully we've answered that um, in, mm -hmm. uh, in sort of previous questions, but thanks very much for sending the question in. Um, Daniel Bunton says, uh, is again just uh, about diet and then Josh Schofield's come through and I don't actually quite understand this but he said biggest frother in Melbourne Track Club what is who's biggest frother I, well I think that's the question that's all he's put um okay, he's also, yeah I, I don't know what does frother mean I'm, I think I'm I usually you froth one. someone like usually like someone would froth someone to like they'd be obsessed with them so like oh okay um like ryan would froth we call, me. <laughs> i think we call i think we call it simp so if you're a simp you're just, <laughs> yeah. you're no just, we have that yeah um stewie and rambo call ryan a simp for me but yeah, that's classic. acceptable because he's my husband well yeah he, should, he probably should be otherwise yeah something something's otherwise that'd be wrong. yeah something's not working <laughs> yeah so answer wise we're going ryan for that one yeah we'll say ryan's biggest frother in mtc yeah, cool um and then, simp. And then, yeah simp um I literally I, when that came through i was like i don't know how i'm gonna ask, ask this um <laughs> josh uh again josh Schofield has also put um what shoes has jack rayner got on today oh i wish i knew he probably would have put it on strava yeah um <laughs> jack jack yeah he jack's one love in life is shoes and he yeah, be sure to ask him what shoe he's wearing each day and he'll tell you because he has probably the biggest range of shoes and he knows every intricate detail to every shoe that exists. So um, if you're ever looking to get a running shoe, a Nike running shoe, he'll, he'll be the best person to ask. Talk to him, drop him a DM. And if uh, we want to find you on any of your social media platforms, where can we find you? Don't well, give away everything... like email addresses or stuff. I don't think anyone does that anymore. Yeah. That's just you and Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's just us exchanging details in 2012. Yeah. Um, yeah. You can find me on all my social media is genjen underscore lacars. Um, but if you search Genevieve Gregson or Genevieve lacars, you can find me on Facebook fan page, Twitter and Instagram. Love it. And, uh, Last question, I think. I just make sort of just make these up. I haven't really got much <laughs> written down. I literally got like okay. Kylie Minogue, um, <laughs> steeplechase, all my highlights, chicken palmer, and pillows. <laughs> they were the they were the things I'd written down. But um, but yeah, if there was anyone we could get on this podcast that you would stop what you're doing in your day, you'd stick your headphones in and you'd listen. Who would Ooh. that person be? Like anyone in the world this can literally be anyone in the world 
because obviously I'm going to just message them. They're then going to reply and go, yeah, of course, Sam, that's completely fine. Um, and then they're going to come on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to be able to get them, but um, it would just, it'd, end, it'd be someone famous just that I'm like intrigued to listen to. Um, I reckon at the moment, just only because of where I am with Netflix right now, uh, Ryan and I just finished Peaky Blinders. Oh, quality. And I would love to just delve into the life of Thomas Shelby. Yeah, I don't Murphy. think I have, I don't yeah. think I have any interest in Killian though. Like oh. he's just a, probably a regular guy. Oh, he's I a, no, he, about. to be honest, he's pretty special. Like he's got, um, very, well, I think very good music taste. Um, and he's, he oh, does yeah. that on radio, BBC radio six, which is an interesting yeah. one when I used to work in the trades for like eight months. Um, we used to listen to BBC Radio 6 and there was this thing called Circadian Rhythms and he would always be on that basically as a feature. Um, I think the guy is absolutely awesome. And also, if you've ever seen him, like not with his Tommy Shelby haircut, he looks completely different and not as attractive. I know. Yeah, I've, yeah I've, we've Googled him, Ryan and yeah. I, just because Ryan's the same. Like we just kind of were so obsessed with Thomas Shelby. Um, and then we started kind of, yeah, Googling him more as, as the actor and trying to find out more about him because he's done some big he's time in movies. Like as he's, well. Yeah, he's brilliant. Yeah. Oh, Inception. Yeah, he's the guy they're trying to intercept the whole time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just thought like, I thought it was a really good series, but I think he made it. I just thought he was sensational. And I'd say the other guy, um, another guy that Ryan and I would love to have dinner with and, and delve into his life is Leonardo DiCaprio because I oh, think yeah. he's the best actor of all time and he can yeah. do any movie and make it like Oscar award winning. So, um, yeah, I'd like you to contact them, please. And yeah, no, if you get their podcast, yeah, well, just send it through to me. Funnily enough, me and Leo have a lot in common. Um, I don't know how intoxicated this girl was last week, but she actually told my mate that um, she thought I looked like Leo DiCaprio. So, you know, I'll, I'll take that any day of the week and I really appreciate <laughs> yeah. it. Um, I can see the resemblance. Well, so sort of. she, I think she had the beer goggles on um, and she was probably <laughs> struggling with, you know, eyesight and stuff like that. But, um, but no, we'll take that every day of the week. That is now uh, written up on my wall um, as a quote. Um, but yeah, this has been a thoroughly enjoyable experience. Jen Gregson, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate your time. Hope everyone got an insight to the personal side behind the persona of the world's leading athletes. I've been Sam Crick. This has been Jen Gregson. Thank you very much, Jen. See you later. Thanks, Sam. See you later.